Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, church family. It's good to gather today. I hope, hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family or with friends or, or wherever you celebrated. As I was thinking about the joy of, of Thanksgiving, I was remembering the, uh, really the evolution of, of Thanksgiving as a kid. And we, uh, as we were strategizing as a family this week, how do we fit everyone around the table was, was the vision. And it was like, why does that matter? You know, that everyone's around the table, and I think one of the joys of, of the Thanksgiving is just thanking God for each person, its family, its belonging, and, and, but I thought about as a kid, Thanksgiving was really a, or the meal anyway, was an interruption to the fun, right? Did any other kids feel that, like, hey, we have to take a break to eat this food, which is okay, but uh, it's, it's an interruption to what we want to do, and then as grow into that high school, college years, start to appreciate the food, but also begin to appreciate something far greater and the true gift of, of what we celebrate, and it's that gift of, of family and the gift of having a place at the table and the people who fill those places at the table. It's just a, a symbol of, of the treasure of being together. And I think about what God has given us in his church, in his family, that you have, through Christ, a place at the table, each of us, forever, adopted by God, chosen in love to, to have, to experience this community. And then I think about um, what's on the table. And we had a funny conversation this week. Tam was uh, putting the, the whole list together, making sure we had enough food, and she read me her, the entire list of what the uh, menu for Thanksgiving Day, and I was like, babe, that, we are going to have a hard time putting our dent, a dent into all of that, but she's like, John, are we missing anything? I said, no, I think we got it covered. She said, well, what about cornbread pudding? Should I make some cornbread pudding? And I thought through the, the veggie category, kind of fits in the veggies, and uh, said, nope, I think we've got enough veggies, we're good on cornbread pudding. And she went back to thinking, looking at the list, and then she asked me again, what about cornbread pudding? Should I make some cornbread pudding? I'm like, what? and then I, it began to dawn on me, and I said, who likes cornbread pudding? Chad, <laughs> our son. It's what love does, isn't it? Love can't resist. She, yeah, I think I did finally talk her out of it, but... <laughs> The dishes on the table, often made for those around us, those we love. And, and I think about the good gifts, the simple gifts of life, the cornbread pudding, the, uh, the beautiful day, the, uh, the moments with our friends and families, the health, all that God has given us, given from a heavenly Father who loves us more than we love our family. And it's neat how, as we gather as a worship, as a family, one of the goals is to awaken to that love. It's the prayer of Ephesians 3 that we prayed a couple weeks ago. And, and even today, as we watch Jesus live, we're going to just do a day with him. But I hope and pray that the love of God for you will be seen in Christ and, and will become real 
as we spend some time with him. Now, last week we, we did a, uh, we, a, we lived a day in the life of Jehoshaphat, a king in Israel, and man, what a Second Chronicles 20 if you missed that, but just a, a beautiful picture of God turning our trouble into a doorway to worship. And um, any trouble is really a, a pathway into intimacy with him. But I don't know if there was a, a question that came to your mind. It came to my mind as I was studying, and I didn't, we didn't have time to address it last week, but Jehoshaphat prayed for deliverance, and God delivered him from that army. But the question that, that comes to, to mind is, what do we do with those moments when we pray for deliverance from whatever trouble or problem we're facing, and God does not answer our prayer in the way that we hoped? So we pray for a loved one to be healed from a disease, and they die. We pray for God to, to heal our marriage and bring us back together, and it divorce is the, the result. We pray for a loved one who is struggling with uh, destructive decision-making and just running their life into the ditch that, that they would change, and they don't. What do we do with, with those moments when um, the life hurts at a personal level and it seems God Either we begin to get these doubts, am I, am I not praying with enough faith? Is God not hearing me because of something I've done? Is he mad at me? Is, uh, or even does he care? Begin to doubt his compassion and his care for us. And today what we're going to discover as we follow Christ or we spend a day in the life of Jesus is how he responds when deliverance doesn't happen. And what he gives us is a a pathway to follow when life hurts, the pain gets personal, and the prayer does not get answered in the way we hoped. What do we do with that, and, and how do we process through that? And so it's found in uh, Matthew chapter one, 14, verses 1 to 23. We'll go ahead and read through this entire text, and then there's a, a big idea that we'll, we'll uh, piece together. It's three pieces, and we'll, we'll hit each piece as we go. But uh, picking the story up there in verse 1, it says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus. So this is not the Herod that killed the babies when Jesus was two, or when was alive when Jesus was born. This is his son, and Tetrarch means a fourth. He's, he's uh, governing a fourth of, of the kingdom. And he, uh, he's hearing about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist who has risen from the dead. So he said, Okay, what? Well, why, why does he think that? It says, that is why miraculous powers are at work within him. So what's going on with John the Baptist? Well, Matthew gives us an in-depth and pretty detailed historical flashback here in verse 3. As he said, now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying that it, is, it was not lawful for, for you to have her. So this was a, a, a scandal going on, but... Basically, Herod's brother's wife came to Rome, and they had a fling, and they eloped, and they were both married. And um, it, John the Baptist, who was a prophet, was saying, this is not right. Well, Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. If you know about John, powerful, how God used him really to, to uh, prepare the hearts of people, the people for the Messiah. So in, on, in verse 6, it says, On Herod's birthday, 
the daughter of Herodias danced for her guest and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Woo, mean woman. Well, the, the king was distressed, because, but because of his oaths and his dinner guest, he ordered that her request be granted, and he had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it, and then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, we, only have, we, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. We've I've preached on this before, often in the context of what God calls us to do in serving, but beautiful picture. It's a, it's a looking back at the God providing manna in the wilderness for the, the multitudes. It's also a looking forward to the cross when Jesus will break the bread and say, this is my body broken for you. But it's also instructive to us in ministry. And don't you love this, where um, Jesus calls us as his body to do the ministry and side note here, the comfort here is we are not the manufacturers. Like, we don't have to do it. We're distributors. And I love the definition of ministry Warren Wiersbe gives her as we serve as his body. Ministry is divine resources meeting human needs through loving channels for the glory of God. Isn't that great? And I love it how they didn't have enough. And then here it says, verse 20, they were all satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. More than enough. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 besides women and children. So around 15,000 people. And then verse 22 says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And so what's the takeaway here? Three parts. The first, the takeaway we, we notice first, when life hurts. Back to verse 13, the first part of it. Notice it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. As we pan out from this scene, do you see the paradox going on? Here we have the King of Kings, our, the creator wrapped in humanity, healing people healing crowds of people, healing all kinds of people and feeding people, satisfying their needs, and yet his friend is dead. And this isn't just any friend. This is a, a, a family member, a cousin, but this is a ministry teammate, John, who loved Christ with a love that, that rivaled probably 
was rivaled by very few, and Jesus loved him, and they shared life together. They grew up together. He's dead. And not just any death. He died alone. He died in prison. He died a humiliating death, beheaded by a cruel king abusing power. And Jesus just gets this news. Why does Jesus withdraw to a solitary place after he hears this? And I think as we put ourselves in his shoes, the answer is obvious, isn't it? it? It hit him. It's one of those that hits you in the gut and just takes your knees out, and you've just got to get with the Lord, with his Father. What was going through his heart, though, as you think about the emotional place? And I'm sure he was sad, but if, if you, I think he was also very mad. Jesus had the power to just flick King Herod into the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, what would you be, how would you respond if somebody did this to your, the person that you love? And yes, it would be sad, but it would be more like, it's time to take a trip to the palace. And it's time to uh, crash a birthday party. And it's time to bring some justice where there is injustice. The pain just got personal. When the hurts of, li when the hurts of life and when evil hits close to home, what do we do? When life hurts, what do you do? And I love... the. What we see Jesus do, it says, or the, the rest of the, the second part of the takeaway is this, when life hurts, get to the mountain. Verse 13 says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place, which we say, okay, what was his intention of going to that solitary place? And we know that um, his disciples, Luke records, they often saw him withdrawing to solitary places to pray, to get alone with his Father. And we see the urgency of this in verses 22 and 23. Notice it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. So this is, after he feeds the crowds, it's like, hurry, go. And it's an interesting uh, word there. It's he made them or he compelled them. Like, guys, it's go time. We got to go quick. What's going on in this moment? It says he, he um, and go at, they had him get in the boat, go ahead, head back home to the other side, <clears throat> while he dismissed the crowd. Interesting. You don't dismiss crowds when they're wanting, and John tells us the crowds here were wanting to make him king. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. What's going on in these moments I think what uh, the temptation that that's, we see active, not only is Jesus emotionally raw, he's sad, he's mad, but the temptation to seize earthly power. John was, or Herod was afraid to kill John because of a revolt. He just did it. He just made a bad political move. Jesus fed 15,000 people. They're ready to make him king. The disciples are still thinking earthly kingdom. Let's go take the kingdom. Let's go use earthly power to set up the kingdom of God. And Jesus may have very well felt that temptation that he felt coming out of the desert where the devil said, I'll give you the kingdoms of this earth if you worship me or if you 
And so what do you do when you're emotionally raw, you're being tempted, you're sad, you're mad, you get to the mountain, you get to the mountain, you get to the mountain, you storm the presence of God. By mountain, I mean the, the presence of God. We run into his presence, we kneel before him, and we just are with him, seek his help. And I love this picture as Jesus processes evil and he processes the hurts of life. What's his, where's he going in this text? Sometimes we get caught up in the, the feeding of the 5,000, and rightly so, it's a great story that we learn much from. But the movement of Jesus when he gets into that boat is one place, and he will not be deterred. It's into the presence of his Father. He's getting to the mountain, getting to the mountain, getting to the mountain. When the enemy takes a hit at you, when you feel the pain of living in a fallen world, get to the mountain, get to the mountain, get to the mountain. If Jesus needed time in his Father's presence, how much more do we need it? And what are the things that we do when we get to the mountain? Well, Jesus shows us by example throughout his life. He, God has given us the Psalms to pray, which is a prayer book of, of a, or is a, a book of prayers. Three moves to make, though, when we get to the mountain. The first is to uh, process our pain with him. Just talk it out. Be honest with what you're feeling. Express your hurt, your anger. This is the, the genre of lament that God has given us in the Psalms, where we are at. Uh, and you can read the laments and where we just cry out and tell God what we're feeling. But every lament ends in a sweet spot. And you know what that spot is? It's that place of hope and trust where, where the songwriter just says, okay, I don't get it right now. I prayed for this and that happened. But Lord, I trust you. The second, and that's the first move, is to um, process our pain with him. Mark Vrogat, pastor at College Park, has written just a, a great book on lament. It's called Deep Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. That if, you, if you're going through a season of suffering, I encourage you to grab this. and Just a great template on how to, to um, process through really hard times and use the, the gift of lament. But our second move when we get to the mountain is to uh, rest in his love, in our Father's love. This is an interesting way to pray. It's more an attitude of the heart than it is what we say. But we get our words out, we pray. But then there's a time I found in my life when I'm, I got to get to the mountain that I just look at the Lord with the eyes of faith and I see him as a loving father and I just lean back in his arms and I become the prayer. It's more of a posture. And I believe God does a work in those moments. Often it, it includes sleep. I just fall asleep. Um, and he restores us. I, I love the picture that describes Jesus as the son. Uh, he is the son that has healing in his wings. And I picture a, a patient with tuberculosis where it's the son that heals them. And we just wheel ourselves into his presence and just like, Lord, I'm laying here in your love and you got to do something because my heart's broken, my heart's hurting. And he does, doesn't he? powerful to restore us and and then the third move as we get to the mountain is we resolve to do his will this is where Jesus taught us to pray your will be done your will be done I want to go take Herod out but I know that's not the path the path is the cross and so we carry on your will be done your will be done and the one prayer that we pray in this is father would you purify my heart to want your will above every other but my will and anything else, my one passion in life, let it be to please you. I don't want anything else but you. And God, would you let me be faithful? Just let me be faithful. 
life hurts right now, but I want to be faithful. I want to walk with you through this season. And so when life hurts, back to the big takeaway, when life hurts, get to the mountain. But then there's a third part to this that is um, just awesome. As we see, it's a, and on the way, practice compassion. So this is verse 13, 14. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. The text says, when the text says crowd, how many people are we talking about? So just to put yourself there in Jesus' shoes, what's he looking at? We know he gives us the number 5,000, so with women and children, at least 15,000 people, which you look, that's, our, that's the entire town of Danville pretty, pretty much, plus, plus a few. Can you imagine receiving this really hard news that's just your best friend? Picture who, who would you say is a best friend in your life? And imagine you just get the news that they have died, a horrible death, and now you open your door, and there's the town of Danville standing there wanting something from you. What would you do in that moment? And here we see the heart of our Lord, the compassion of our Lord. The text says, he had compassion on them, and it's a, a compassion which leads to action. He heals the sick. And I was thinking today, wouldn't it be awesome if we could just stop talking right now and just listen to Jesus as he goes from person to person healing them and talking with them. I picture him walking up to a family that has a little girl. I was thinking of Amara, you know, the, her leg healing, but that's not, hasn't been able to walk. She has a lame leg, and he gets to ask her her name, and then he heals her. Picture the family that has a, a dad that um, has gone blind, not able to support his family, and he gives that dad his sight back, and somebody who's just suffering horribly that's come all this way through this rugged terrain to get their friend to Jesus, and he comes to them, and he heals them. And compassion is a powerful thing in that it's, it's more than sympathy. It's, it's taking the pain of someone, owning it as our own, feeling what they would feel, putting ourselves in their shoes. But then it's doing something to alleviate their pain. It's helping. It's more than sympathy or empathy, but it's um, stepping into that pain and then helping them. So here's the question. When life hits Jesus, when life hurts, when evil unleashes on him, and he's grieving the loss of a personal friend, what's he do with that pain? And I love this picture. He allows that pain to become a passion to help others, to give them hope and healing. And through his help and with his power and by his grace, we are able to do the same. What do we do with our pain that we're processing? May we use it to be a compassionate presence to the people around us. Isn't it interesting when we're going through our toughest moments, it's like God awakens our soul to, to what other people are going through and the opportunities that he brings us just begin to arise. And um, he does his work through hurting people. You know? Our hearts are breaking, our hearts are heavy, our hearts, but what's the text say? Second Corinthians, when we are weak, he is strong. And it's the way of Christ. It's the way of his body. And when those things come that hurt us, 
God can repurpose that pain and actually use it as a power to bring help and healing to, the, to those who are hurting around us. Our Lord had compassion on them. So what do we do when life hurts, when evil unleashes, unleashes on you or someone that you love and it gets personal? May we get to the mountain, get to the mountain of God's presence, but may we also practice compassion. This week I was studying the, the, uh, the origin of the first hospital, and historians are pretty certain that it, it originated in, uh, I believe it's the third century or 4th century, but with the church father named Basil, and there was medical help before that, but medical help was for those who could afford it, the wealthy and the, the upper class, but for those who were poor or could not afford it, and especially lepers, you're just left to die, and it was through the church, through this church father who had this vision, let's provide medical help for those who have no money, and his brother Gregory of Nyssa preached a sermon to, to fund the first um, hospital or uh, in, in, in this sermon he said lepers have been made in the image of God let us take care of Christ while there is still time let us minister let us minister to Christ's needs let us give to Christ's nourishment let us clothe Christ let us gather Christ in let us show Christ honor and then the council of Nyssa decreed that wherever a cathedral exists wherever a church building is built there will also be a hospice, a place of caring for the sick and poor. Compassion is core to the DNA of the body of Christ. Amen? It's who we are. I think about um, those of you who have given your lives to serve in, in the realm of medicine and be in the hands and feet of Christ, alleviating the suffering of those who are um, experiencing disease and how much it meant these past two years for you to be running that marathon um, caring for, as we went through this season of COVID, and we cannot thank you enough for your service. And I know many of you would say, well, I didn't, I wasn't on the front lines, but, but I think everyone in our medical community felt the stress, felt the pressure of that. And I'd encourage us, just seek somebody out and thank them today for, for what they've done. I um, think about personally, I'm sure we've all had moments that we've been in a hospital at a crisis time. And for our family, we'll never forget the nurses that were God's angels to my mom in the last two weeks of her life. And do you know what they did for her? Among many other things, they made her strawberry milkshakes that she would eat. The only thing she wanted to eat was a strawberry milkshake that they made. And man, you talk about compassion. Um, seeing her through the compassion of Christ. I think about our own church family as a community of passion, compassion. And this past week, together, doing something what we couldn't do alone, but together, we um, put, baked and assembled and delivered over 450 uh, meals to people who were hurting. Joan was taking the calls and have mentioned people were so grateful. Often it was loneliness that they were struggling with. And to see a compassionate person sharing a warm meal, and in every uh, meal that we gave, we gave the gospel, the book of John, I believe, the, or maybe it was the whole New Testament, the book of life from the Gideons was what we delivered. Just love that picture. Huge thanks to everybody who played a part in that. Jim, Joan, and Julia, special thanks to you guys, but 
Church family, thank you. It was just a highlight of my Thanksgiving to pull up and see Jim Harold out there. Jim, I don't know, how old is Jim right now? 79, he's had more heart surgeries than who knows. But he's out there in 40 degrees rain directing traffic. And we have pictures of, uh, yeah, been rolling through these, making it happen. And our prayer is that God will use, even today, we're praying that he would take the seeds of truth and love that were planted and bear fruit for his glory. A huge thank you to, uh, to everyone who gave to our Thanksgiving offering. And just a quick celebration moment, we could use a drum roll. As, as up to, uh, to this point, we are at $54,000 has been given to just pour into these compassion ministries. Isn't that awesome? And together, we're, a number of these have been listed. The one, uh, Hope Healthcare, $3,000 will go out. And this is, a, there's a, Hope Healthcare in Avon is a clinic that John Milan stepped out of a successful career to serve the underserved in our community in the realm of uh, healthcare. And those who may not have insurance or struggling in other ways, the doctors there said we could really use a machine, this type of machine and uh, would, would help us treat patients. And we're going to buy that machine for them with this $3,000. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think not just of the, uh, the machine, but the people who are there loving on these, uh, the patients and praying with them, praying with them and sharing God's word. And one of those people is, is our own Dr. Don Johnson, quietly but faithfully has served at Hope Healthcare for, for many years, being the presence of Christ. The greatest gift, though, that we can give as we have compassion, as we practice compassion, is the gift of the bread of life. And as we relive this day in the life of Jesus, we cannot help but remember that um, what John tells us there in John chapter uh, 6, verse 35, in this account that we fast forward to the next, the crowds are following Jesus and and, uh, they want more bread and basically. And Jesus says this, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, and this is where it gets good, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Talking, Danny was sharing a couple weeks ago the, the sweet simplicity of the gospel. It, don't you love it? Bottom line, do you know Christ? And we get this chance. He is the bread of life. When we receive him by faith, game, set, match, beautiful future. And we get to share the bread of life with those around us. And will he satisfy the people around us as we share this? Oh, <laughs> 12 basketfuls left over. You know, it's, it's all of this and, and heaven too. And so as we are his compassionate presence, may we be faithful. This is what moved two young men from Kansas during the Vietnam War, not to stay in Kansas and, and do their thing, 
but to go to the front lines, not with a gun, but with the word of God and to offer church services to soldiers on the front lines. And one day, Dennis Scott was walking by and he heard the music. He's like, I'll go check this out. And he went down and he, he listened into this church service offered to soldiers who were facing death. And it was that moment as well as several other moments God used to draw him to himself. And uh, Dennis shared, as I was so neat to hear this story, and, and Donna. Um, and today we are welcoming them into our church family. Both of them have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, following him, and uh, were baptized. And, and God gave them a family, brought him through the war. As a, so- I believe as a sophomore in high school, he had a love for architecture and pursued that with his, his brother and, and um when you put love and when uh, love and, and skill work together, expect a masterpiece. And and he has had privileges as an architect to design Peyton Manning's home. He can say that now that Peyton's moved away, but uh, he's also been a part of designing Lucas Oil and, and the airport that that we enjoy, that beautiful atrium. And but their passion, as I talked with them, is to be compassionate grandparents. And really neat story, it was when their grandson, Dalton, trusted Christ in our student ministry and was being baptized, that they came to support him and to encourage him, and they just enjoyed our church family and, and stuck, and so glad that God is, is leading them to continue with us. But what was neat was their passion is to see their kids and grandkids come to a saving faith in Christ and follow him with all of their heart. And so what's compassion look like? May Maybe in your season of life, it's, it's that compassionate grandparenting. The, uh, another neat story that's playing out in real time, no, another season of, uh, unique Daniel and, and uh, Anna's story are in another season of life, but uh, Daniel is a medical doctor, but his passion has been, their passion has been to take the gospel to, the, uh, to where unreached people groups, specifically Russia and some other places in the Middle East. And so they've been praying about that. But right now, God has them in Plainfield, and so he's being faithful, but um, seeking to follow God's lead on Tuesday evening. And if we could just join in prayer around Daniel and Anna, Anna and their, their family, this Tuesday evening, he's joining two other missionaries and going into a country that is 95% Muslim and rest- restricted to Christianity with the hope of maybe practicing medicine and then bivocationally sharing the gospel with, and with those who, who don't know Christ. What in the world would cause a guy to do that, a family to do that? It's the compassion of Jesus Christ. To take the gospel where, where it is not. The greatest gift that we can give to those around us. So bringing it all together, um, you know, Monday morning is that day, routine day, that I get to the mountain, get to the mountain of God's presence after the busyness of the week. And I don't know if you have, have you ever had those weeks or days that you're like, okay, I know God's at work in all of this, but I have no idea what he's trying to say to me because I'm just moving too quick. The days are just flying and you fall asleep exhausted. And like, wow, I wish I could. Uh, and then you, I love Sabbath might be one of my favorite moments of that mountain moment with him. Just to, I grab a, a pen and a, a notebook and I was just like, okay, what just happened? 
<laughs> what just happened last week? And I jot down, and usually there's one or two takeaways that God was trying to teach me through the crazy events of that last week and things that I can learn and, and carry with me into the future. I picture the disciples as they, we know the rest of the story on this day, they had the storm, Peter tried to walk on water and all that stuff. And I picture them just on their Sabbath that week, like what just happened? A day in the life of Jesus. And I love this takeaway. Carry it with us for the rest of our lives. When life hurts, like God didn't answer the prayer to get John the Baptist out of jail. That hurt. We saw the look in our leader's eyes. It hurt. But he got to the mountain. He got to the mountain. When life hurts, like a deer panting for streams of water, Psalm 42, I'm getting to the mountain. I got to be with God. I got to be with my Father. I'm going to get to the mountain. But on the way, I'm going to practice compassion. I'm going to take the time to stop and see the person and to allow their pain to become my pain and really listen, really care, so that I might share the love of Christ and hopefully the truth of who he is, the bread of life. Amen? Maybe today you're listening and you're, you're going through a, a really hard time, and I pray even this time will be a time where you're on the mountain with the Lord and God will bring healing to you. But if you'd like to talk with someone, we'd love to talk with you. Seek someone out or a pastor or a friend and Love to talk and pray. And then maybe today, I know this week, God was just checking me up in the realm of compassion. And God has just nudged you to, it's so easy to get busy, it's easy to become callous to the needs of those around us. But maybe today your move is just, Lord, would you renew in my heart a, a compassion that's your compassion. Colossians 3, it's the first thing we're called to put on is the dearly loved children of God. Put on compassion as we do life together. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we just thank you for the treasure of, of knowing you and also of your word and this opportunity just to relive a day in your life, Jesus. And we thank you for your example that you gave us. Lord, we thank you for comforting us in our troubles. We thank you for the treasure of your presence to be with you on the mountain and just to process our pain and and you're so faithful, Lord, as you listen, but then apply your grace and you love us. And you give us the grace to follow you through it all. We thank you for the ways that you repurpose pain. And as we, as your kids, that you turn that into compassion. And thank you for how you've done that in our church family. And it's just awesome to look back and see the countless ways that that you are at work through this body. And I pray that you would continue to, to soften our hearts to the needs of those around us. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to distribute Thanksgiving meals this week and pray that for each of those families, even this morning, that you would be at work in their hearts and lives and help them to know you love them and we love them and that there's hope through the gospel. Thank you for Dennis and Donna Scott, Lord, and drawing them to yourself and, and then bringing them to our church family. And we just pray blessing over them as they journey with us as members. And we pray blessing over their family that, that uh, they would all love you and follow you. Lord, I thank you for the uh, generosity of this Thanksgiving offering and pray that you would take it and use it in all of these compassion initiatives and 
other initiatives to to be effective in bearing fruit for you. Lord, we pray for Daniel's story as he, Lord willing, will leave this Tuesday night and pray that you would protect him, guide him, direct him, show him the next steps. And we just pray for open doors for him to serve. And Lord, as the Bloomer family comes back today, we uh, just pray your blessing over them and uh, just that you would fill them with a passion to do what you've called them to do here in, in our community and then also provision for them. Lord, we thank you for this Thanksgiving week. It has been so good. We, uh, we end with our eyes fixed on you and that song. Give thanks to the Lord for you are good. Your love endures forever. We agree together. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.